Welcome to Dollars and Cents with a couple of gents Making money moves with the finest of gents Come and pull up a seat cause we're proud to present How to make some good decisions when you're on the fence Rob and Steve gonna tell you how to do it the best Hello and welcome to another episode of Dollars and Cents with a couple of gents I am Stephen Ellis I am Robert Wolfson And we of course are the gents And today we have a topic for you that I know Rob is really looking forward to discussing So excited It is an exciting one this is another one of those ones where when we think about it, we think, okay, is this going to be dangerous talking about this with people listening in the car? But it is topical, so we wanted to address it. And we'll do our best to make it interesting. But by nature, the topic itself is not the most interesting. But it's something that we haven't really had to deal with for like 10, 15 years, but it is prevalent today. So uh, therefore, we wanted to bring it up. But yeah, not most the most interesting, but it is very pertinent and relevant. Now, if you haven't already turned this off and moved on to something else, <laughs> today's topic is inflation. And hopefully we have a few points today that may enlighten you a little bit, give you a bit more food for thought or a bit more clarity on, on what inflation is, how it works, how it's controlled, and you know some direction in terms of what things might look like going forward now from here based on where we're at today. Yeah, it's not always a negative thing. There are some positive things of inflation too, but everyone, I think, always focuses on the negative effects of it. Yeah, I think everyone focuses usually, and you mentioned it, Rob, first thing you think of, fuel, groceries. Groceries, for sure. Especially nowadays, it seems, I, I found that's really come into focus. Where you go to the grocery store and spend $200 and you walk out with one bag. <laughs> that's right. So, Rob, why don't we just start off with a, a simple sort of definition of what inflation is? Yeah. Basically, Steve, the broad-based definition of inflation is defined as the increase in a price of basket of goods and services, which generally can be seen as negative. But when inflation rises and purchasing power is reduced, the consumers are not able to buy as many goods with that same dollar value. Yeah. So it's often referred to as a decline in purchasing power. Right. A dollar today is not going to buy the same amount of goods as a dollar in the future. Yeah, you often hear people say that, you know, a dollar's not worth as much today as it used to be. One of the examples that always comes to mind for me is I grew up playing hockey and I remember picking up mom and dad a cup of coffee at the hockey rink and they'd give you a quarter to go and get a cup of coffee. And nowadays that same cup of coffee is probably closer to $2. And if you drink the fancy ones like Rob drinks, they're 5 or $6. <laughs> That's right. So, you know, again, you couldn't get the fancy ones back then, but just a regular cup of coffee, you think about the amount of uh, inflation over, say, the last 30, 40 years in terms of a, a cup of coffee. Yeah, I was just going to say, so to your point, it's not like a dollar today is not a dollar tomorrow. It's just that dollar can buy less. Yeah, tomorrow. purchasing power is a good way to think about right. it. How, how far does that dollar go? Exactly. So that's really it in terms of the definition. I don't think it needs to be any more complicated than that. So let's talk now about what can cause inflation. So how do we end up with inflation or higher inflation? Because we generally always have some inflation, right? Uh, very rarely, in rare cases, we see deflation. But generally speaking, uh, we live in, in times of inflation almost constantly. But it's at times like this, when we see inflation ramp up above the long-term average, that we start to talk about it and we start to look at how it's affecting our daily lives. So let's look at the causes for, we'll say, increased inflation and then maybe some of the effects of that. And it's typically caused by an increase in the money supply, 
which causes currencies to lose their power. Like everything, Steve, if there's more quantity of something, what is out there is less valuable. So that really is the root cause of why we're seeing higher inflation right now is because of the pandemic. And I think we can almost sort of exclusively say uh, that that's been a driver for government spending, government programs. And we've seen a lot of them globally, really, but in Canada and the U.S. being a little bit closer to home. So as we see economic stimulus, we talk about the, the government printing money, for example, money supply is increased and purchasing power is is reduced. That really is at the heart of where inflation uh, tends to ramp up. But we've also seen some other issues through the pandemic that have contributed to inflation as well, Rob. That's right, Steve. So one real-life example people may recall earlier this year in 2021 was the incredible rise in the price of lumber. And that, of course, happened because many factories around the world didn't have enough staff to to work and fulfill the demand, whether it's closures for capacity due to COVID, maybe people on sick leave, etc. But at the same time, people are staying at home, spending more time in their homes. So either they want to renovate because now they're spending more time, they realize that they want to improve their surroundings, or maybe they're purchasing a new home. Maybe they're moving into the suburbs now that they're spending more time instead of inner city. So it's just created this incredible demand for lumber at the same time when there's not as much supply. So ergo, you have an incredible rise in prices. And similarly, we've seen home prices rise as well, just because that increased demand. So there's inflation uh, for, for real estate. And even the example you mentioned earlier, Steve, and this is a smaller example because not everyone is renovating or moving or buying a house. But for me, with my skinny vanilla latte, a year ago, it was... My grande skinny vanilla latte is $5.50, but today it's $5.62. Now, it's only a dime, but that's because there's a shortage of coffee beans from Brazil. So Starbucks, they had they have a rise in their input costs. They have to pay their employees more to come to work. So they just raise their prices of their product. And that's how you know it erodes the purchasing power of my money because it's $0.10 cents more for me to buy my skinny vanilla latte. Yeah, and actually, uh, we'll talk a little bit later about how wages and wage increases work in, in relation to inflation. Another example that's actually quite close to my heart, being an avid mountain biker, there was a shortage of bikes out there, uh, which drove the price up, both in terms of new and used. And a lot of that was the bike manufacturers' plants were closed. Companies that were manufacturing the parts for those bikes were in that situation as well. On top of that, uh, a lot of businesses are seeing some backlog and some issues with supply chain, right? We had that that issue in the Suez Canal, and I think a lot of people attribute it to that. But I think it's just increased demand for shipping and not the amount of supply to keep up for it. So all of a sudden, sort of an unusual or unique event drives that demand up, and you don't have the supply to support it. So in that case, you end up with a, a backlog on supply chain. And, uh, and sort of a push and an increased cost to get your product from A to B, which then ends up coming back to the consumer. And it's the exact same analogy, Steve, going up to cars and uh, just issues with the supply chain and not being able to get all the parts, the microchips, all of the technology components within automobile manufacturing. If you've tried to look for a, a car over the summer, there's very little inventory and a lot. They may have a couple models, but if you wanted a different color or a different feature, you may have to wait a couple months and it may cost more. And even to your point about bikes, if you want to buy a secondhand car, it's almost the same amount of cost on the resale market for automobiles than it is for buying new just because there hasn't been any uh, no inventory. So it's driven the price up for automobiles as well. So Steve, at the end of the day, we want to 
talk about what the effect is of higher inflation. And especially for consumers and businesses, we've already touched on a couple of them, but, you know, lowering the purchasing power for consumers, for businesses, it may increase their purchasing input costs. So some companies can pass it on to the consumer and just charge higher prices, but some can't. Therefore, it eats into their corporate profitability, which in turn lowers their revenues, you know, for their business and potentially the value of their stocks on the stock market. But also, too, from a broader economic macro standpoint, it can reduce the amount of economic growth in a country. And the way that happens is because as a currency loses value, the prices rise and therefore you can buy fewer goods and services with your money. And so this loss of purchasing power really impacts the cost of general living for the public. Now, typically your employers will give you a cost of living adjustment, which is a small increase in your wages to uh, correlate with the rise of purchasing costs. But if the inflation rate is higher than that increase, it's still eroding your purchasing power. So that really is what we're looking out for. So, Rob, you mentioned a couple of things. You mentioned how input costs can affect corporate profitability and how, how that affects inflation. You also mentioned Starbucks and how they've essentially passed that increased cost of goods on in the consumer. So as an end user now, as a consumer, you're seeing inflation because you're seeing that uh, push of the, the increase in the commodity price is ending up on, well, in your cup. I was going to say on your plate. <laughs> right. In your cup, right. almost literally, I guess. And that's actually called uh, cost push inflation. There's three different types. That one is called cost push. We also talked about wage increases affecting corporations, right? So the demand for, for wage increases essentially will lead to then a higher cost of goods and services being passed on to the consumer. And that's a bit of a vicious cycle when you actually look at it, because if your cost of living as the end user, as a consumer, is increasing, you're going to go to your employer and demand a wage increase to keep up with that, right? And again, you alluded to that, that cost of living increase that can be built into wages. Uh, so if you're finding your trips to the grocery store more expensive, it's more expensive to fill up your car, etc., you're going to look to increase your wage. And again, it becomes that vicious cycle where uh, it cuts into to corporate profitability. That's what's referred to as built-in inflation. And the third one is demand-pull inflation. And what that is essentially is when there's an increase in supply of money and credit, it stimulates demand for goods and services and does so too rapidly that supply is not able to keep up with it. So we've seen a little bit of that as well, you know, under the guise of some of the shipping and the supply chain issues. I think that exists right now as well, where we've seen Certainly demand for certain things, lumber, for example, was, was a good one. And again, there's other factors, but certainly the, the demand for that picked up and we saw prices rise as a result. So Rob, we've talked a bit about what inflation is, the causes, the effects. Maybe now we can talk a little bit about how it's measured and sort of what some of the standards of measurement are, uh, where historic rate of inflation should be in a quote unquote normal situation. So the most common, call it measurement or ways that we track inflation is through the consumer price index. And that's probably what most people have heard of out there, the CPI. There's also the wholesale price index or the WPI. But again, we'll talk a bit more about the consumer price index because it's the one that generally people follow and, and tend to see more in mainstream media. So Steve, CPI is basically a measure that examines the average of a price of basket 
of household goods and services. So they include things like transportation, food, and medical care. So not, not just groceries and gas? Right, exactly. It is actually funny that you mentioned that, Steve, because whenever you read the financial news or on TV, you hear people refer to most core CPI. And ironically, core does not include food and energy, which are actually the things that impact the average everyday consumer most. Yeah, so just be aware out there if you're if you're reading the newspaper, watching the news, and you see core CPI that uh, it doesn't include those those two things. So when we talk about measuring inflation, it's important to understand sort of what the benchmark is, so to speak. And so when we talk about increased inflation, what is that increase from? If we talk about four, it's you know you may be sitting out there going, well, is four high? So it's important to kind of know where the, the long-term target rates are. And those target rates generally are what the central banks feel is a reasonable, I'll put that in air quotes, uh, reasonable inflation. So Rob, maybe you can touch on that briefly in terms of what's reasonable, what long-term inflation looks like, and where we're at today and why we're talking about it. Yeah, that's a good, great point, Steve, because typically four on the surface is not a high number. But typically, the Bank of Canada, the Federal Reserve in the U.S., all of the uh, governments, the planners, uh, when you're doing a financial plan, we use 2% as an inflation estimate going forward. And over the past 10, 12, 15 years, it's actually been less than 2%. But now, we're targeting about that same number, about 4.1%. And that's double 2 Naturally, you do easy math. So that's why it is such a talking point today and why we wanted to do the podcast because we are running at a higher rate than we've seen in the last decade, decade and a half. So if you think of your average basket of goods, again, excluding food and energy because those numbers are much higher. But if your cost of living is 4% higher and your wages are not going up at the same amount, it does have a real impact on your pocketbook and your discretionary income and your long-term planning. Yeah, and I'm going to date this podcast a little bit, Rob, because actually it came out this morning that Canada's inflation rate hit 4.4% uh, for September, which is the highest level since 2003, so 18 years. So last point we really want to talk about is, is how to control inflation. So if we have higher inflation, how do we get it back closer to that, that long-term target? And of course, the tricky point is, is, is the inflation transitory, meaning it's here for a bit, but not forever, or is it permanent? And things like lumber prices, we talked about already, they've already come down. So that was really just, you know, a couple month phenomenon and it hurt at that point in time, but it's somewhat back to normal. But really, when you're looking from a government standpoint, a way to reduce prices is to make access to that good more expensive because then people won't buy it as much or can't afford it. So from a central bank standpoint, they raise interest rates. So if you have interest rate increases, generally it's not initially a negative thing because if companies are making more money, they can soak up those costs of higher borrowing costs. But it's when it goes up too far, too fast, and it's a shock to the system. Little incremental increases in rates are okay, but it's when it's a lot at once. Yeah, I think one of the questions that I've been getting is, We've had some announcements out of the U.S. Fed and out of the Bank of Canada. And the question is, well, why aren't they raising interest rates? If we're seeing these higher inflation numbers, both in the U.S. and Canada, why are the central banks not raising rates? And I have to speculate to a certain extent because I'm, I'm not in the room. 
But I think part of it is concern about where we're at in terms of economic recovery, COVID fourth wave, et cetera. But also the fact that when they look at a long-term inflation number, they still see it being in line with that close to 2% target long-term. As Rob mentioned, we've been in a fairly prolonged period of time where inflation has actually been under that 2% target. So again, if we factor that into the long-term, even though we're over now, it keeps it within that 2% range. And even as recently as last year, we saw much lower inflation as a result of, of COVID and perhaps even you know short periods of time of, of deflation in certain areas of the economy. Fuel, for example, people were uh, not going anywhere, sheltering in place. So the prices of fuel, demand for fuel came down, prices for fuel came down as well. So we're still sort of making up for that period of time and, and those types of phenomena. So Rob, that's how economies and government and central banks deal with inflation and what they can do to control it. As the end user, as I like to call our listeners out there, or the consumer, what can you do to essentially hedge against inflation? Well, in short, I think it's owning assets, if you want to put it that way. So houses generally are a good way to hedge inflation. We've seen that in this latest run up in inflation. You know, house prices have increased quite dramatically. House prices tend to be fairly sticky, so to speak. When you see prices in, in real estate, of course, we always kind of worry about that bubble bursting, if you want to call it that. But real estate prices over time tend to be fairly sticky. Uh, another good way is to own stocks. And I say stocks in particular as opposed to bonds or money market type investments or GICs because stocks can combat inflation because they have, we'll say, superior growth potential to things like bonds or GICs. And going back to the earlier example, Steve, but Starbucks, they're not reducing their profits. They're increasing the cost of a cup of coffee. So they're passing those higher costs onto the consumer. Therefore, it's not eating into their profitability. So they're still making money, even though their input costs are going higher. Yeah. And I really think a lot of companies do do that. You know, as much as we talk about wages affecting corporate profitability, increased costs of any input, decreasing corporate profitability. But I think, again, that's a great example, Rob, of that, that company or that corporation passing that cost on to the, to the end user uh, so as not to be affected. So, you know, you use Starbucks, if you're an owner of Starbucks stock, you're likely not going to see uh, a great deal of impact in terms of the, the share price. The other side of that coin, and I'll use GICs as an example because we're in a, as we've talked about before, a very low interest rate environment. So if you want to use an example of a GIC, a one-year GIC paying 0.5%, if we're talking about 4.4% inflation currently, and you've got a 0.5% GIC, your your inflation-adjusted rate of return, before you factor in any costs or taxes, taxes. Yeah, you're already well underwater. You're, you're underwater 3.9%. So in order to keep pace with inflation, and we talk about this all the time, we talk about asset allocation and having some growth potential, some stocks in a portfolio. And one of the reasons to have that is to hedge against inflation. It's especially companies that pay dividends regularly and grow their dividends because even if the cost of living is going up, if that company's returning more capital to you in the form of a dividend payout, you're cash flow from being a shareholder of that company is increasing at the same time. Yeah. So ultimately, when we go through the planning process, 
We do look at inflation. You mentioned that, Rob, that we adjust portfolios and projections for inflation. We look at returns on a net basis. And when we do that, we're taking into account inflation. So I think something to look at is a lot of people, when they're looking at stocks or things to invest in in a uh, higher than normal inflationary environment, there's kind of going by the book, right? Yeah, if there's more demand for goods, you need all of the raw input to produce those goods, which is commodities, real estate. We already talked to you already talked about housing, Steve. You can also get that in stock form in real estate investment trusts. You just want to look at your quarterly reports just to see which companies are. It's a bit of homework, but you need to look and see which companies are able to pass those costs on to the consumers by raising their costs and not just eating those, those costs themselves. And of course, companies that pay dividend that are growing the dividends. Yeah, Rob, that's really a great point. So the final point uh, I'd like to make, Steve, just to kind of wrap this up is, you know, there can be market volatility. We always need to make sure our listeners know that. And that's, of course, if costs stay elevated and inflation is out of control for a longer period of time. And it really is up to the central bankers to balance that tightrope walk between pulling back the amount of stimulus that they're putting into the economy, but also making sure that the borrowing costs are in control too, so it doesn't get out of control on both sides. Yeah, the market does get a bit nervy. I think the one thing I would send our listeners away with is, is inflation is not to be feared, right? I think a lot of people, it kind of takes on a real negative tone. It can be managed. It's part of the economic cycle. It's certainly not anything to be feared. People like Rob and I, we've seen this before. We've dealt with it before. I think we've got some good experience in working uh, investors through the process and finding opportunities in amongst the, the situation as well. So certainly if you've got any more questions about inflation or anything else, reach out to us. Let us know. So thanks as always for listening. And as always, I'm Stephen Ellis. And I'm Robert Wolfson. And we are a couple of gents. And we'll talk to you again soon.